Galatians chapter 6. Let's begin reading in verse 1 down through verse 10. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Notice that verse 3 is in context of <clears throat> bearing one another's burdens and restoring someone else in the spirit of meekness. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come now before thy presence, beseeching thy Holy Spirit, that he be our teacher and our guide. We pray that, Lord, you'd help us to understand even more the exhortation of which Paul writes in these closing words of this wonderful epistle. Lord, I pray that you would write them upon our hearts. Help us, Lord God, I pray that we'd not only understand them, but, Lord, that they would influence our entire being, that, Lord, we would not grow weary in well-doing, Lord, knowing and being assured in our hearts that we shall in due season reap if we faint not. Therefore, let us, Lord, as we have opportunity to do good unto all men, especially unto those who are the household of faith. I pray, God, that, Lord, you'd impress upon our hearts the importance and significance of this exhortation. Lord, help us, Lord, to practice it before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Lord, we look to thee. For the psalmist said in Psalm 18, Thy gentleness has made me great. And Father, I pray that, Father, you'd help us, Lord, this morning to realize and understand the blessings it is, Lord, to seek the well-doing of others, the betterment of others. And Lord, I pray that, Father, as we do that, we'd become more like Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. <clears throat> this morning, I wish to close out our small series on these two passages of Scripture here in Galatians chapter 6. Actually, verses 9 and 10 are the last words, actually, of this epistle, even though Paul goes on in the next seven verses or so. He closes it out. But verses 9 and 10 are actually the last words unto the believers in Galatia, and they are words which are very significant for us, I hope and pray we'll understand this morning. Because like I said, I cannot emphasize enough the great significance of Paul's exhortation and also the rich blessings which he promises to those who do not grow weary in well-doing. For there will be, he says, a time of reaping. Yet according to God's divine and providential season, he says. Let us do good unto all men, he said, for in due season we shall reap 
In due season we shall reap if we faint not. So there is a time of reaping of what we sow. As he said in the previous verses, what a man sows or reaps, he sows. If we reap, if we sow to the Spirit, so shall we also of the Spirit reap life everlasting. But if we sow to his flesh or flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. So Paul says there will be a time of reaping. And that is what encourages us as God's children to continue in well-doing unto all men, especially the household of faith. As the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, James declares, having long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain, James chapter 5, so to the well-doing believer, Paul exhorts us, must wait for the precious sowing of well-doing, having long patience for it, knowing that in God's due season he shall reap, if he faints not. And so in closing out these verses this morning, I want to exhort you uh, unto well-doing and motivate you, according to Paul's exhortation and blessings here, that we would continue uh, seeking to do well amongst all men, especially those of the household of faith, but that we would continue to seek doing well. There's a great blessing in what Paul exhorts us to this morning, and I hope and pray that we would be encouraged and excited by the words of the Apostle Paul to continue in well-doing. So before I get ahead of myself, the reaping might be in this present life, but the reaping we look forward to uh, is the reaping in eternity. A child of God does things not for this temporal life so much as he does for the things of eternity. We look to God in eternity. And we thank God for the temporal blessings that might come from sowing well-doing, amongst others, those temporal things of comforts and peace and joy and encouragement. Yet we do all things to the glory of God. And we do all things for that day when we shall stand before him and reap the fruits of eternity and everlasting happiness and peace. So we do well because of what God has promised us in eternity. For the well-doing of which Paul speaks, like the earthly and latter rain for which the husbandman waiteth for, stems not from any merit or doing of the believer's own, but they are the fruits and manifestations of the Spirit and grace of God wrought within the heart of every true believer. That's important to understand because man will boast of his well-doing to others, yet he does it for himself, uh, and it stems from a heart of corruption and wickedness. Yet the child of God, the well-being of which Paul speaks, stems from the Spirit and grace of God which is wrought within our hearts. There's a difference. The promise of reaping in due season are not to those who content themselves with an occasional act of benevolence and well-doing, but to those who are threatened to grow weary and faint because they continually and consistently seek to do well. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. It implies that someone is continually, consistently seeking to do well, to do good, not those occasional acts of benevolence, most Christians, or many Christians, pride themselves in occasional acts of benevolence. Paul's talking about all well-doing, and that consistently, constantly, without stopping. 
those are the ones that are in store threatened or endangered to grow weary. Seasonal acts of well-doing, dearly beloved, come with little or no danger of growing weary or fainting. But those who seek to continually do well amongst all men, those are the ones that are threatened or in danger of growing weary and fainting. Therefore, Paul encourages us to look to the reaping in due season. There's just so much in this text that I want to expound on this morning that it's, it's, it's really hard and complicated to put it all into one little sermon. We could go on for weeks with this, but I hope and pray that what the Lord has given me this morning would be sufficient to encourage all of us this morning to continue in well-doing. In spite of the fact that we do or are often in danger of growing weary. And it's not just occasional acts, but consistently. And it's not only the big acts of benevolence, those that are they're great, but it's also the small ones. You know, it's usually those small acts of well-doing which wear us the most. Not the occasional big acts of benevolence, but those continual small acts of well-doing which wears on us and causes us to faint. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Like I said, it's not always those great acts of well-doing which threaten the true believer to be weary and faint, but more so those seemingly small and insignificant acts of well-doing which oftentimes go unnoticed and unrecognized by men, but not by God. You see, in essence, everything the child of God does, he does first and foremost for the glory of God. If not, then we're doing it all for the wrong reasons. But everything he does, he does consistently. He does to honor and glorify God. And everything that we do, Every act of kindness, every act of benevolence, every act of goodness, we do not so much to be seen of men, but to be seen of God to glorify Him. And God sees those acts which no one else sees. And that's what satisfies us. Let not your right hand know what your left hand is doing in your almsgiving. That's the principle of how Christian lives his life. And that's a principle which drives us in doing well unto all men, especially unto those of the household of faith. It's not to be seen and applauded by, applauded by men, but it's to be seen by God and to give him honor and glory, to wait for the reaping in God's due season. We don't look to be pleasing to men. If we do, we'll get disappointed. As we've seen in the past few weeks, the unthankfulness and gratitude of sinful man will wear us quickly, weary, and will faint. All things, whether you eat or drink, do to the glory of God. You do it to God. We do it for God. We do it for His honor and glory. We do it to be seen of God, not to be seen of men. A certain widow, a certain poor widow, Casting in thither two mites. In Luke chapter 21. Goes unnoticed and hidden by the rich man's gifts of abundance. Yet not by Christ. That scripture says Christ looked and saw the rich throwing in their abundance. And so did everybody else. Oh, look, he threw in a whole lot of money. He threw in a whole lot of money. And this poor widow who had just two mites. All that she had 
Nobody noticed. Nobody took aware of what she was doing. Christ did. It's not the amount of good that we do. It's the quality of goodness that we do that counts before God. Men measure the quality of well-doing by the abundance and quantity. God by the quality of the heart. Are you following me? Men measure the quality of well-doing by the abundance and quantity. But God by the quality of the heart. It was in David's heart to build a house unto God. And that pleased God greatly, even though God didn't allow him to build it, but his son, but God said, it pleased me that it was in your heart. You see, it's in the inward part that God desires truth. And when we do well doing, dearly beloved, if we do it unto the glory of God and for God alone, I'm telling you, that is what pleases God. And it matters not if men sees us or applauds us or recognizes us because we do it for Christ and not for ourselves. Men do it to see to be seen of men and to glory before men. Our Lord said in the Gospel of Matthew with the good works of the unrighteous. They have their reward, he says. Sinful men, Matthew chapter 6, to be seen of men, that he might have glory of men. That is what drives them to do well-doing. Yet they reap of the flesh unto corruption, not unto eternal life, everlasting life. It's a big difference. Why do we do what we do in helping others? Do we do it to be applauded and recognized by men or we do it for the honor and glory of God? The Pharisee. <laughs> the Pharisee provided a feast that he might impress Christ. you remember? He made a feast for Christ and invited Christ to come and eat in his house. Yet it was a sinner who stood at the feet behind Christ who began to wash his feet with tears that received Christ's greatest commendation and praise. It wasn't a great feast. She didn't even have, she had so much humility that she wouldn't even stand before Christ, but she stood behind Christ and washed his feet with her tears. You see, it's not the great acts of benevolence which attracts God's attention, but those that are seemingly insignificantly small and unknown to man that God honors and glorifies. All Martha's service in Luke 10, though she thought was for Christ, all her servicing brought her only trouble and care. You're cumbered about with many things. Christ said. You're serving me, yes, but it's causing you care and trouble. Yet Mary, sitting at his feet, 
He said, receive the good part, which should not be taken away from her. There's two ladies at the feet of Christ. There's something in that. One washing his feet with tears, the other one sitting at his feet being taught. There's, there's a message in there, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because we have a principle of a grace wrought in our hearts by the Spirit of God, dearly beloved, when we seek to do well, we seek not only, or we seek not that men praise us, but we seek only to glorify God. And there's a desire in our hearts, in many ways, not to even be recognized by men. And when we are recognized by men, there should be an element of humility. And despair even, when men look to us rather than to God for the things that we do. Many preachers have fallen into pride because they are exalted above measure in the eyes of men. And they've forgotten that what, what measure of success God has granted them all came from God and not of their own doing. John Owens, after preaching a sermon one time, a gentleman tried to compliment him as he was leaving the church on his sermon, and John Owens attempted to stop him in his very words because he would not take any compliment for anything, he said, that was of God's doing and not his own. We seek to do well-doing because we love God. The threat or danger of being weary and fainting in well-doing comes from those continual and consistent acts of benevolence, which often go by unrecognized and hidden from the eyes of men. That's when we begin to grow weary, and that's when we begin to faint. Because man is ungrateful, or ingrateful and unthankful. We look to Christ. So if you find yourself growing weary and even fainting and doing good, you have your eyes upon men and not upon God. How often have I heard as a pastor over the years, preacher, I just, I give up. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not worth it because it's only met with ingratitude and unthankfulness. Every time I try to do something good, it's met with ingratitude and unthankfulness, and I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of it, and I'm not going to do it anymore. I give and give, and they take and they take, and I just cannot take it anymore. I've also seen in churches when you acknowledge someone for doing well in the church, maybe a service for the church or for the Lord, and someone else has done something, and they get jealous because they're not recognized. And you must ask yourself, if you get jealous, what was the reason for you doing what you did? Was it unto God or to be seen of men? Yet the divine promise of reaping in due season is God's divine refuge against such danger and peril of growing weary. I'm going to reap in due season. In due season, we shall reap. I love that word, due season. Paul, or Peter, speaks of even season. If for a season you're suffering under manifold of afflictions for a season, 
Paul talks about these light afflictions of but a moment. Everything in this life is but a season, a moment. I was talking to my wife the other day about this present life and <clears throat> the fact that people are dying and that's a fact. It's a part of life. Dying is a part of life. But nothing in this present life is eternal. Nothing is eternal. Every, you can't hold on to anything in this life. It doesn't matter what it is. Relationships, material things. There's nothing in this present life, nothing we can see, taste, and touch in this present life that is going to last forever. The only thing that lasts forever is Christ and eternal life. That's the only thing that lasts forever. Nothing in this life can you keep. It's all a due season. Our trials, manifold, sorrowful, are only a due season. Our afflictions are only for a moment, Paul says. And so we look at our sowing of well-doing, and we look not to reaping now, but we look to the due season for which God is appointed to give us our reward for doing well. And it's for His honor and glory alone and not for ours. The reaping of our sowing of well-doing will be in accordance to God's sovereign choosing for a due season. He shall reap. And though God is gracious enough to allow us some reaping in this present life, it is to the full harvest in eternity that we so patiently and eagerly Wait. The temporal seasons of reaping joy, encouragement, and comfort, beloved, are just mercy drops for the believer. I'm not saying that we're always going to have times where we're not comforted and strengthened by well-doing. Sometimes God will give us those mercy drops. Sometimes in this present life, he'll bless us with peace and comfort in well-doing. Even though man doesn't acknowledge it or applaud it, God will give us peace of heart and mind for doing his will. But those for the believer are just merely mercy drops. I look not to have my, my, my reaping of these benefits of well-doing in this present life. I look forward to having the harvest in eternity. So if God grants me mercy drops now and gives me a little bit of comfort, peace, and encouragement in doing well, that's good and fine. But I look forward to the harvest in eternity, not the mercy drops in this present life because they're just temporal. There be, shall be showers of blessings, the old hymn says. So the believer grows not weary in well-doing or fainting because he looks forward to reaping in God's due season. Everything we do, we do for eternity. Do you know that? Everything we do, we do for eternity. Now, what we do in this life does have temporal effects upon others. When we do well, yes, people see that, and we hope they give God the glory, and that's good. But everything a child of God does, he doesn't do to embrace the blessings of God primarily in this present life. He does it for eternity, the things of eternity. That's why Christ said, set your heart on things above. For where your treasure is, where your heart is, there will your treasure be. Our heart as the child of God is to do good unto others for the glory of God that we might reap, maybe not in this life, but in the next. Therefore, 
verse 9 and 10. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There's the encouragement. There's the encouragement to continue doing well. Now watch what he says. Watch the exhortation. He puts it practical. He said, now, if you understand verse 9, this is what you should be doing then. As we, therefore, as we have, therefore, is what he just said, opportunity. You will see, see there, um, that doesn't mean I always have to know. Paul says we should be looking for these opportunities. When we have the opportunity, when it's available, when it's made clear to us, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. I like that. Let us do good unto all men. Whenever and wherever, as we have opportunity, Paul says, let us do good unto all men. No exceptions. He doesn't make any exceptions here. Let us do good unto them that do good unto us. No. He said, let us do good unto all men. No exceptions. If you love those who love you, what better are you than the publicans? And Christians are guilty of that sin today, more so than ever. They bind are bound with other believers who have like-minded and like them as well, but they have a hard time with believers where they have differences and uh, <clears throat> of opinions and convictions sometimes. Paul didn't say that. <clears throat> Let us do good unto all men. No exceptions. But he says and emphasizes, especially, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Especially. You see how he puts an emphasis on that? Let us do good unto all men where we have opportunity, whenever, wherever. All men. No, except, no, ex, no exce, uh, exceptions here. All men. All men. But he emphasizes, especially. And again, I believe this is an area which many Christians today fail in. Just like they fail in Christ's new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. We don't love one another as Christ loves us because we hold grudges. We hold resentment. Christ said, don't love them like that. I, Christ don't love us like that. He doesn't resent us when we fall into sin or error or mistake. He said, love one another as I love you. Not love one another as you want to love one another. Love one another as I love you. That's a commandment. That's a commandment. And God's commandments are not grievous. Why do Christians then have a hard time exercising that today? Oh, they'll say, oh, no, 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 I do love all believers, but yet they don't show it in their actions and their conduct. Christ said, no, love one another as I've loved you. And here's the same thing. Paul says, do good unto all men, do well unto all men as you have opportunity. But he said, especially, be careful that you especially, especially do well, do good, amongst those who are the household. And I love the wording here from the Holy Spirit. Household of faith. Household. Now, this doesn't, household doesn't express a family. A family is intimate. Household is many people living under one roof. But he says, it's a household of faith. I love that. Peter says, we have like preciousness of faith who have obtained the like preciousness of faith. In other words, Paul is saying here, all those who are of faith, they live in the household of God. Be particularly careful that you maintain good works and doing good towards those. You know, in the past I have seen, and I'm sure you have too, I've seen and witnessed Christians treating sinners better than they do 
saints. They're more patient with the sinner than they are with the saint. A sinner can do what he wants to and say, oh, that's just a sinner. Well, that might be true, but he's a saint. He's a child of God. He's the household of faith. He's a child of God. We are bound, we are bound together by faith in Christ. We are united to Christ. Why is it that they show them more patience and more compassion and long-suffering than they do the child of God, who is of the household of faith? That doesn't make sense to me. And Paul expresses that here, especially. Especially. That's why this whole first seven or nine or eight verses in this context, if a man be overtaken a fault, you with your spiritual, restore. Restore such a one. He doesn't say condemn him. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Bear ye one another's burdens. That goes farther than just bearing somebody's burden of, of weakness, but bearing their burdens when they fail, they make a mistake, they fall into fault, bear one another's burden. That's true Christianity. That's a Christianity that proves we're the disciples of Christ. For by this the world shall know that you are my disciples when you one love, love one another as I have loved thee. You see that? Yet this testimony is greatly damaged in this generation in which we live in where Christians have become selfish. Isn't it amazing that in the perilous the perils of times in which Paul speaks in Timothy, the first thing that leads that whole train of perilous things in these latter days is men shall be lovers of themselves. Of themselves. And if you'll check that context, those perils are not in the world. Paul's talking about the perils in the church. Oh yeah, those perilous times are going on in the world. No, listen to the con. He's writing to to Timothy, this is what's going to happen in the church. Men shall be lovers of themselves, boasters, proud. Those are the perils facing the church because they're coming from within the church. Because sin and iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, our Lord said. So you see, the exhortation which Paul speaks is very significant for us in these latter days, in these perilous times. We must always be exercising goodness towards all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, both of these, to all men and to the household of faith, both of these stem from our love for God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Both of them, all men and the household of faith. The former, all men, must flow from the great commandment. What is, Lord, what is the great commandment? Not greatest, the great. He said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's where the first one must flow. Loving all men must flow from that great commandment. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Without loving God, we'll never be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. They, all, they both stem from the love of God. And the household of faith, of course, we know where that comes from. The new commandment. We love one another as Christ has loved us. So you see, both of these, all men in the household of faith, must flow, must stem from our love to God. In other words, our love to God is going to be manifested and evidenced and seen in how we do good unto all men and especially unto the household of faith. Isn't that amazing? I fear if many Christians' love for God 
were to be measured by their love and goodness towards all men and love for the household of faith, many would be found wanting in that love. Love for God. Great commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your mind. And second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, do good unto all men, especially the household of the faith, that you love one another as Christ loved you. You see, we, our love for one another must be measured and determined by Christ's love for us. And I, I guarantee you, a true child of God who really knows something about the love of Christ, they're going to exercise at least a measure of that same love. Could never meet the measure of it. It's Christ's love, of course. But the measure of that great love we have for Christ is going to be exercised towards those uh, who are of the household of faith. You know that? Of the household of faith. You said, but you don't understand the faults they've done, the mistakes they've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Hebrews chapter 10, I'll show you something. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Listen to these words. They're amazing. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unrighteous, listen, to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, you show towards His name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Do you see that? Christ said, when you minister to the saints and do minister, you're showing your work and labor of love towards His name. It's amazing, isn't it? Every act of goodness, work, and labor of love we exercise towards one another as believers is a reflection, is a is accredited to his name. You have showed toward his name. It's an amazing text and worthy of our most serious consideration. <coughs> Didn't our Lord say that in the Gospels when they said, Lord, when did, see, when did we see you naked? And when did we see you in prison? And when did we see you hungered? He said, as much as you've not done this unto these, you've not done it unto me. Isn't that amazing? I mean, there's a divine mystery, but a great, great truth there. Great truth there here in Hebrews 6 and also what the Lord said in the Gospels and what Paul's saying, especially toward them of the household of faith. I'm telling you there's a great blessing here. Every time we do an act of goodness or kindness, if it stems from a principle of grace in our hearts to the glory of God, we are in actuality, God says, doing it to Him. Amazing, isn't it? You know that all our good fruits are because of God, but God says when you do them, He accredits them to us. But in the reality, they're God's. If we could but just believe that more as believers, I believe that we would strive to exercise this kind of love and well-doing even more, not only to all men, but especially to the household of faith. While we have opportunity, as we patiently wait for the season of reaping, let us sow the sweet 
seed of well-doing. Sow it. Sow it. For the time is quickly approaching, dearly beloved, when our sowing shall end. Do you know that? Our time is quickly approaching when our sowing shall end. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says this, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Why? For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. How much are we going to reap when we stand before God? You know, I I love and rejoice the day when God began opening up my eyes to the doctrines of grace. And yet I fear in many ways those who embrace the doctrines of grace have totally missed in many ways and aspects the truths of which Paul is speaking. Of sowing. You sow. You reap what you sow. Oh, God's going to do all things for no. He didn't say that. Paul says, God's not be not God's not deceived. <laughs> you're going to reap what you sow. Amen. You're going to reap what you sow. Oh, the Calvinists as well. You know, a lot of them. I want to blank a statement, everyone. Well, it, everything we do is of God, and you know, God has to make it happen, and God will make it happen, and so it doesn't matter because everything's going to happen in accordance to His sovereign will, and I don't have to worry. No, God said still at the same time. God's not deceived. Paul said he's not deceived. What you sow, you're going to reap. Even Christ himself said in John chapter 9, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. I must work the works of him that sent me. We should have the same attitude. I must work the works of him that sent me. As thou sent me into the world, so I send them. We should echo Christ's sentiment. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, while I'm alive, while I'm able to do that. For the night cometh when no man can work. So Paul says, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Therefore, he says in Galatians, which is a wonderful encouragement in the light of all of that to every believer, as we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. I've heard of People saying, well, we have to be careful how we do good works because we don't want people to think that it's only we're giving them physical help and assistance. <clears throat> we want it to be spiritual, so we don't want to confuse people. No, the Lord went about doing good. He helped people that were in need. He, there's, it's biblical for the church to be actively diligent in benevolence. You know that? <laughs> It's a Christian principle. We should be helping and aiding the poor, the needy, the lost, the sick, them in prison. Look at Scripture. 
We should be known for our benevolence as Christians. And yet when we try to exercise such benevolence in a fallen world, we're going to be met with ingratitude and unthankfulness. Not only from the lost, but even maybe so from those who profess to be Christians. Judas, who held the bag, was upset when he seen that ointment being spread out costly, thinking, well, that money could have been used to feed the poor. Lord says, no, Judas, there's a reason for this. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Beloved, my encouragement this morning in closing out this text in Galatians is that we might echo Paul's exhortation in our own hearts. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Let us learn. If we find a brethren taken over in fault, overtaken in a fault, to restore him spiritually with meekness. Let us learn to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let us look to Christ as the hands of the servant, Psalm says, looks to his master. So our eyes look to the hands of the Lord. In the king's presence, the servant could look nowhere except at the hands of the king. The king should only be able to move his hand a certain way, and that servant would jump. The servant didn't stand there and look around. He was constantly watching the hand of the king, and the king only had to make one gesture with his hand. Whatever it was, that servant had to know what that was. The king should not exert any energy in trying to tell that servant what to do. The servant was fixed on the hands of the master. And whatever way that hand went, that servant jumped. And so is our eyes upon Christ. Whatever you want me to do, it doesn't matter. And you know what? It might seem, seem seemingly insignificant and small. People might not even recognize what you're doing. But God does. And I'm telling you, that's where the real joy is when we do it under the Lord. Do all things unto the Lord for his glory and for his honor. And we will reap the benefits, temporal ones when necessary in this life, but we shall reap the eternal promises in heaven when we stand before the presence of Christ. And so I pray that we've all been encouraged by Paul's exhortation in Galatians. And I pray that we as a church would never be weary in well-doing, never looking to the eyes of men for applause or acceptance, but always looking to the Lord. And even though men might not understand it or appreciate it, why are you doing what you're doing? You know they don't appreciate We still, still let us look unto the Lord for our reaping and not unto men. For in doing so, beloved, we shall be greatly blessed. Amen. And God shall bless us with many spiritual blessings and i hope and pray that we as a church would always be ready and willing to exercise such well-doing unto all men so let's do good unto all men especially in the household of faith amen let's pray heavenly father we do thank you lord for this brief message this morning as we conclude this text in galatians i pray that father you would encourage us to continue in well-doing father many of us know uh, Lord, the danger of being weary in well-doing, we know and have felt our hearts fainting in times of trying to do good. 
Lord, sometimes it seems, Lord God, like there's nothing coming out of it. It seems as though it's to no effect. I pray that, Lord, we would not look to temporal blessings or temporal things, that, Lord, we look to Thee. And, Lord, we find comfort in that, that, Lord, in due season we shall reap. Let us not faint. Help us, dear God, we pray now as a church that we might grow in this grace and virtue. And, Lord, in doing so, I pray that, Father, you'd strengthen us, uh, Lord, by one another's fellowship and communion and exhortation and love and encouragement. Help us, Lord, when we see a brother fall into a fault, that, Lord, we would lift them up and we'd help them uh, being reminded of ourselves. Help us, Lord God, we pray to bear one another's burdens, that, Lord, we might do so in a way that honors and glorifies you. Father, many things we do go unseen and hidden from the eyes of men. Lord, we look not to their praise, we look to thee. May you be honored and glorified in all we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.